Well, good morning, Wayside, and whether you're with us on campus or online, we are thankful you are here, and we are thankful that you're here to study God's Word to us. And so if you would, and you have your Bibles, open those to John chapter 3, where we will uh, pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you today, and we thank you for the opportunity to come and study your Word today. And I pray we're Uh, There are those of us that need conviction today that you would convict. I pray, Lord, where there are those of us that need encouragement today uh, that you would encourage. And, Lord, I pray that you would teach all of us and that you would do so in a way that's effective for us in godliness. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, have you ever been sincere about something, maybe a belief or a question that you had, and been sincerely wrong? What did you do? Uh, Did you cover it up? Did you fight for your answer? Uh, Did you address your failure? Did you admit your failure and embrace the correct answer? One of the most mistaken notions that still exists today is that in order to get to heaven, you must be a good person. Uh, People today live all their lives trying to live up to the good person standard. And they are sincere. But just how good do you have to be in order to get to heaven? Mother Teresa good? Billy Graham good? Who creates the standard? Just how good do you have to be? Well, today we're going to experience a conversation between two sincere people. But only one had the wisdom and experience needed to communicate God's truth. The other, while so close to the truth, was also, at the same time, so far away. The conversation today answers the most mistaken religious notion that has ever existed. That in order to get to heaven, you must be a good person. In fact, every other religion that I know of or have ever studied teaches this in one flavor or another. And so in this passage of Scripture, we will see that John uses the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus to show his readers that eternal life and the kingdom of God can only be experienced through spiritual birth. In fact, we're going to see that in order to have eternal life, you must believe in the name of Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 3 where we find a conversation between Jesus and a ruler of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was no regular Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body, uh, both in religious things, in judicial things, and in political things. He was a member of the most ruling class of the day. And so this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus was no regular conversation. Uh, In fact, this conversation gives us the gold of the scriptures, you might say. It brings to us the clear and convincing declaration about eternal life and the relationship that we enjoy with God. And so what prompted this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus? It was the Passover, and Jews from all over Israel had come to Jerusalem. Now remember that the Passover was a pilgrimage festival that required Jews 
to participate in ritual worship in conjunction with the services of the priests of the temple. Every year, every male had to appear before God and keep the festival. And so Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he went to the temple. And here he chose publicly to reveal his identity in a most unusual way. Uh, There, he found businessmen selling oxen and sheep and doves for the sacrifice, and he found money changers next to them making the exchange. The money changers were there to convert currencies used for the payment of the temple tax. And what bothered Jesus was that the temple had become a place of business, a place where money changers made money on the exchange and took advantage of their captive audience. And so when Jesus drove them out, I'd say he created a scene with his handmade whip. And so the Jews questioned his authority. The Jews questioned his reason that he should be there in the first place. And so in this context, Jesus begins to teach. And he begins to talk about his crucifixion and his resurrection and authority over death. And he begins to perform signs, and many, John tells us, were believing in his name. And so Jesus had to be investigated. Because not only had he created a stir in the temple, but now he was drawing crowds and creating followers. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night under the cloak of darkness. In the book of John, darkness is a metaphor for evil, and light is a metaphor for good. And from the beginning of John, we're told that in him, that is Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. Uh, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. We also learn in chapter 1 that he came into his own, and his own did not receive him. And so what kind of people believed in Jesus? The stage is set. Would Nicodemus be able to comprehend this man, Jesus? Rabbi, he says, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one else can do these signs unless God is with him. Notice Nicodemus doesn't ask a question, but he makes a statement. Nicodemus came to Jesus because the ruling class wanted to know how the signs that they are seeing connected with Jesus' identity. Nicodemus starts the conversation by making a statement about Jesus' signs. And Nicodemus' statement is not true. It's assumed to be true, though, in the conversation. Is it true that those who do signs must be from God? Can someone do miraculous signs who is not from God? Well, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, it tells us that in the end times, one will come according to the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. And so it's possible that the power of the devil can produce signs. Later in his ministry, Jesus was accused of producing signs by the power of Beelzebub, by the power of Satan himself. 
And so Nicodemus comes trying to figure out the signs because Jesus is making a stir. And so in response, Jesus makes a statement about people in the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we learn something here about Nicodemus. We learn that Nicodemus is a religious man, but he's not born again. At first glance, it seems as if Nicodemus, or excuse me, Jesus ignores Nicodemus' statement and changes the subject. Why would Jesus respond with a statement about being born again when Nicodemus is talking about signs? If Nicodemus truly gives Jesus credit for being from God and for authentically performing signs, then the kingdom he was looking for may, in fact, have been at hand. You see, the Pharisees were sign seekers, and they were looking for signs of the kingdom. And so we see from this conversation that it's entirely possible that a person can see God at work without God being at work in him. Did you catch that? It's entirely possible for a person to see God at work without God being at work in them. Historically, God gave signs to strengthen the faith of the timid. Remember the sign of Moses in the desert when the Israelites experienced snakes in the wilderness? They were to look up at the bronze snake for deliverance. God gave Israel a sign, and they trusted in that sign for deliverance. And the Pharisees of Jesus' day sought the performance of signs for belief, which meant that if the signs were not performed, it became a bellwether for unbelief. In his book, Extreme Righteousness, Seeing Ourselves in the Pharisees, Tom Hovostel states, True faith needs no signs from God, and true spirituality needs no miracle answers. Sight often stifles rather than stimulates faith, a phenomenon modeled by the Pharisees. A sign faith is not tested faith. And while sign faith can be a good place to begin, it's not a good place to end. Remember, Jesus performed signs, and the people believed. And as a result, John tells us that Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Their faith had not matured. It was sign faith. Remember Jesus' words to Thomas? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Knowing the Pharisees were enamored with signs, Jesus' response to Nicodemus got to the heart of the matter because Jesus knows our hearts. He doesn't change the subject, but instead he challenges the view of the Pharisees' sign-seeking demands by cutting to the chase about how a person experiences the kingdom of God. The kingdom is about faith. It's about the identity of Jesus and faith in him, not signs. Now, anyone who watches a White House press briefing understands what we might call a pressing question. Even a casual observer would easily conclude that every reporter in the room has the most important question in the history of the world. 
There's no turn-taking here. Uh, No raising of hands. Well, there's an attempt at raising of hands. And there's little consideration of who should speak next. Just an outburst of simultaneous voices beginning the first few words of their question. When Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven, Nicodemus leans in and his question becomes pressing. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asks. Here, Jesus uses a teaching style called martial. Martial are short parables or statements that can be taken either literally or figuratively. Jesus exposes Nicodemus' lack of insight here because Nicodemus takes, you must be born again, literally. Listen to the irony here. Mashal is derived from a word that means to rule. To speak an authoritative word. And so here's Jesus speaking to a ruler who should be an authority in spiritual things but who instead experiences the authoritative word of Jesus. The irony is palpable, isn't it? But while Nicodemus' pressing question puts Jesus in control of this conversation, there's also an important question that should be brewing in our minds as we continue this conversation. And this is the most important and most pressing question that we can even ever ask. Even if we don't believe it to be. Even if we don't feel it. This is the most important and pressing question. Because this question affects our eternity. If the biggest problem in religion is that most people try to appease God with works. And the answer to that problem lies in what it means to be born again. Then we must know. We better know what it means to be born again. We must know the answer to the question, what does it mean to be born again? And so Jesus continues, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. What's Jesus saying here? Like kind produces like kind. The flesh cannot produce spiritual birth. Only the spirit can. Remember the Pharisees' faith? It was rooted in the flesh. The traditions of men. The keeping of the law. The circumcision of the flesh. And the signs that one could see. And while there was a faith element to it, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees' faith had been reduced to carrying out religion in the flesh. Being born again literally means to be born from above. That is, to be made alive by the Spirit. To have spiritual birth. And so only through the Spirit does a person experience the kingdom of God. Now, there's many opinions as to what it means When Jesus says, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There's many views, but just two two real possibilities in context here. 
The first one states that water here refers to natural birth and that the spirit here refers to spiritual birth. And so what Jesus is saying, and this fits the context of the next sentence, when Jesus says flesh is born of flesh and spirit is born of spirit, what Jesus is saying is that uh, we are born naturally in the flesh and we are born spiritually by the spirit. Now the second view here, sees Jesus' statement as a reference to the new covenant in Ezekiel 36, where God sprinkles clean water on believers and gives them a new spirit. You see, cleansing with water is a metaphor for being cleansed in your heart. In the new covenant, God takes our hearts of stone and makes them hearts of flesh. He takes our hearts of stone and makes them hearts that are pliable, that are spiritual, not hardened, not fleshly. And so being born of water and of spirit is symbolic for having your heart cleansed and being indwelled by the Spirit of God. This, Jesus says, is what it means to be born again. See, everything that Jesus says in this conversation confronts Nicodemus' view of spiritual things. And it confronts Nicodemus' view of the identity of who Jesus is. As opposed to seeing the kingdom through signs, the kingdom instead is seen through the Spirit. Being born of the Spirit is not a fleshly exercise, like physical birth or circumcision or keeping of the law or signs, but it is a spiritual exercise. In John 6, 63, Jesus tells his disciples, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Many of you know that in business there's something called profit. Profit is the difference between the total amount earned and the total cost of doing business. It is the gain left after all expenses have been paid. And to profit in business means to gain. What did Jesus tell his disciples? The flesh profits nothing. It cannot produce any gain worthy of God. And yet we have convinced ourselves that if we are good enough, we can make it into heaven. We've convinced ourselves that the very thing that is unable to produce anything acceptable to God spiritually is the very thing most of us are depending on for our eternity. This world needs this conversation, church. And it's our job to carry the message. Now Jesus gives more information about this spiritual birth. He's not finished. He tells Nicodemus that spiritual birth is like the wind. He compares the work of the spirit to the way that the wind moves and its effects. Now remember the disciples' statement when Jesus calmed the storm? Who is this man? that calms the wind and the waves. And here Jesus is using the wind as an analogy for the Spirit. Jesus tells Nicodemus four things about the Spirit here. First, he tells us that the Spirit is free. It blows where it wishes. The Spirit is not captive to our will. Second, You can see the effects of the wind. You can't see it, but you can see its effects. 
In the same way, you can see the effects of the Spirit. Namely, it's fruit. Thirdly, the Spirit is a mystery. It works in ways that we cannot fully understand. And lastly, the origin of the Spirit and its destination is God's to determine, not ours. And so he goes where he wills. And this was true 2,000 years ago, and it's still true today. The wind does what the wind does, and so does the Spirit. And so when it comes to being born again, it's the Spirit's work, not ours. And there are perceptible effects of this new birth. Our wills move for sure. Our wills move to see Jesus for all he is and the truth and the gospel. The main effect is that we become spiritually alive. But we don't move first. God moves first. The Spirit moves first. Because we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, rich in mercy, moves. And by grace through faith, we are made spiritually alive. Born again. Nicodemus is dumbfounded. How can this be, he asks. Notice Jesus' response. Are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Nicodemus should have known. Jesus' witness was rooted in the scriptures. Nicodemus, seeing the miracles, should have clued into Jesus' identity as the Messiah. But Nicodemus and the Pharisees could not put the two together. Jesus goes on. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify to what we've seen, but you do not accept our testimony. How is Nicodemus supposed to understand spiritual things when he denies the connection between the witness of Scripture on the one hand and the witness of Jesus on the other? He can't even understand the wind. Jesus' ministry was a witness to Old Testament typology and prophecy. He would come from heaven to earth and live out every last sign, every last prediction, every last prophecy while on earth. And his coming from heaven to earth and his lifting up of his body on the tree is our provision just as the bronze serpent was the provision in the wilderness for believers back then. Jesus connects his identity as the Son of Man with the witness of Scripture and his earthly signs. Surely, Nicodemus understood by now. But just in case... Just in case, Jesus makes it really clear with these life-giving words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The most quoted verse in scripture. The first one you learned as a child. The one your parents knew, even if they didn't know any others. Came under the cloak of darkness. Between a Pharisee and Jesus. He was sincere. But he was sincerely wrong. So close. And yet so far away. And so ironic 
Nicodemus came in darkness, representing those who would stay in darkness because they were men who loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. You see, there's a connection between living a good life and the kingdom, certainly, but it's not what we think it is. It's not that in order to go to heaven, you have to be a good person. Instead, that's when you're bound for heaven, you become a good person. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. Radio pioneer Paul Harvey was a delightful history teacher with a voice that turned the news into the narrative on his famous segment, The Rest of the Story. For more than three decades, Harvey addressed millions, giving them the backstory to people, places, and events that were both famous and not so known. Often leaving people with cliffhangers if, but for a moment, then he would tell the rest of the story. And so John, maybe John was the originator of the rest of the story because he doesn't leave well enough alone to picture Nicodemus in this conversation alone. Instead, we see Nicodemus in the book of John on two more occasions. He becomes the defender of Jesus' right to a fair trial in John chapter 7 and is harassed by his own party. Are you from Galilee? They smirked. And then at the burial of Jesus, we find none other than Joseph of Arimathea. And guess who? Nicodemus. Nicodemus brought the burial spices, identifying with Jesus in his death. And Nicodemus, who came under the cover of darkness, came into the light. John states, and he makes it clear here, Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen with the spices. Nicodemus, who had once sought Jesus by night, was now supplying Jesus with burial spices by day, affiliated with his death and unashamed of the light. And this is the rest of the story. But what about you? What's the rest of your story? Are you, like Nicodemus, bound to the traditions of men, believing that good works get you to heaven? Or are you, like Nicodemus, challenged by Jesus, and have you concluded that he is the Son of God, and that you must be? born again John makes it clear but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but who were born of God this is what it means to be born again would you receive him Today, believe in him today. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that 
you included these conversations that on the one hand are so simple and yet so profound. And Lord, it's amazing that the thing we want to believe most is that somehow we can appease you with our works. The thing that most religions, that most people still believe to this day, 2,000 years later, the thing that they have always believed is that somehow we can merit our way to you. Lord, today, thank you for the, the clarity that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for all who are watching online and for all who are here today. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.